When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Let's turn our attention to what's going on in the NBA. And I called it yesterday. Hopefully you listened to the show. It was on from noon to 2.30. Uh, I've been talking about this Boston Celtics team for uh, a good month and a half now. Actually, since the All-Star break, I just I, I felt that Boston really uh, has been the best team in the NBA since the All-Star break. And you saw it up close and personal last night. Hopefully you did tune into that Nets game. So uh, they lost 109 to 103. And, you know, in in watching the game, I just, I don't know about you, I I just, I felt like, it's interesting, right? You're you're watching a game, especially you're watching an NBA game, and it just felt like everything was so effortless for the Boston Celtics. Did it not? Like every time, every time they made their way down the court, uh, you know, it was, it was either, you know, Jalen Brown, you know, driving to the basket. Uh, either going up, getting a foul. I, I think he, he went he went to the foul line like a gazillion times or dishing it off to Tatum. Tatum was in the corner, knocking down threes. Marcus Smart was hitting jumpers. It, it, was just, it, it was just, it was effortless for them where whenever the Nets had the ball, it, it was just like, I don't know about you, but like I, I was on the edge of my seat. Like, you know, what are they going to do? How are they going to score? You know, Griffin's in, you know, w- what's he able to do? Um, KD was... Uh, and has not been himself. 16 points for KD. Is, you know, we can sit here and argue best player in the NBA. Yeah, I think anyone can make a fair argument about that. Six of 11. He only took 11 shots. Eight rebounds, eight assists, so he was able to, to contribute in other ways. But, man, this is a dude who averages 30 points a game. He's shooting 36%. He had 12 turnovers. The team had 48 turnovers. Tatum had six steals. The team had 13 steals for the Boston Celtics. I just like it's just the game, and, and no disrespect for the to, to the Nets, but it's just like the game just seemed so easy for for this Boston Celtics team. Where you know, don't forget coming into the coming into this postseason, um, the Nets were the second favorite team to win the championship, even though they had the playing game. So uh, just a uh, sad state of affairs, what's going on with this Nets team. And, and, and you know, you don't come back down. You don't, you don't come back from being down 0-3. You just don't. Celtics, more physical. Uh, I, I know KD spoke to the media after the game, and he talked about how, you know, the Celtics have more size. Um, well, you know, it was interesting. I want to say... Last week, I, I was I was listening to one, of, and, and I apologize. I don't know what commentator it was. I don't know if it was Shaq or um, was it somebody on on ESPN saying that uh, that Katie doesn't doesn't lift weights. He doesn't work out. He doesn't he doesn't work out with weights. I mean that that surprised me. Again, I, I'm I'm curious. I, I'd like to do a deeper dive into that. How are you a professional athlete, let alone a basketball player, and you don't lift weights? Um, I don't quite understand that, but nonetheless, uh, the Celtics uber physical, 
uh, the defense that they've been able to execute and, and how they're able to switch up and, and really keeping Katie uh, off his game has been unbelievably brilliant. And, uh, and, and, you know, I understand why this trade went down. I understand hard need to be out. I really thought that uh, getting Drummond and, and, and Curry here would, would help as well. But, um, but stick a fork in them. Uh, nets are done. And uh, you've, got, you've got game four happening on Monday at the Clays. Is are we going to see here? Are we going to see Ben Simmons play? I, I personally, I don't feel Ben Ben Simmons should play. I, I think I think this Nets team is done. I think you need to wave the white flag and come back for another season, and come back hopefully take the season off, get ready for uh, Ben Simmons in that back, um, get him healthy. Because obviously, this is uh, this is this is a Nets team that cannot get it done with just two, especially against uh, the Boston Celtics. Which you know is is really interesting because um, as we as we were getting closer to the postseason, if you don't re- if you, you if you remember, teams were th- there was some speculation that the 76ers were tanking and tanking. What do I mean by tanking? Uh, you know, uh, limiting players' minutes. Was Embiid going to play? Was he not going to play? The teams were trying to avoid that number two seed. But the Celtics were not. Celtics were like, bring them on. Bring on the Nets. And the the matchup, or I should say the mismatch, mismatches are so evident here. In in this in this matchup, it's, uh, it's, it's glaring. And so the Nets need to go back to the drawing board. That's for sure. 800-919-3776. We'll get your calls when we get back. Also, some other games uh, yesterday that uh, that took place. Uh, the Raptors took care of the 76ers, 110-102. to uh, Philadelphia is still up in that series, 3-1. Game 5 is going to be Monday in Philly. Tip-off is at 8 o'clock. I do expect the 76ers uh, to, uh, to win that series, but um, I did have the Raptors. Uh, winning this matchup, but it does go back to Philadelphia. Um, they'll have their full roster. Don't forget the Raptors in Canada. Those who are not vaxxed cannot play. So it goes back to the 76ers uh, and uh, they get a full roster. Also uh, the, the biggest story li- storyline really when it comes to 76ers is in bead and his thumb. Apparently he's going to be getting an MRI today. But uh, he spoke to the media and said, regardless of what the MRI result is, he's not shutting down. So he went 7 for 16 last night, uh, 21 points, 8 rebounds. Typically, he averages 30, 32 points and double-digit rebounds. So he's obviously not 100%. Siakam put up 34 points, but nonetheless. So... Philadelphia is still up on the series 3-1. They just have to win one more to advance to the next round, and I believe that they do get it done on Monday in Philadelphia. Uh, you got the Jazz, who beat the Mavericks 100-99. to This was a great game, came down to the wire. I was actually surprised that Luka played last night. 34 minutes, 30 points. Um, but uh, Donovan Mitchell, Gobert, that last-minute alley-oop, uh, was clutch with 11 seconds left that, of course, put them over the top, and they won by one point. Uh, Brunson put up 23 points. Now their next game, that series is all tied up at two. That's going to be a good one. 
Uh, and their next game is Monday at 9.30. And then, of course, last but not least, you've got Minnesota in, and uh, Memphis. Minnesota took care of Memphis. Again, really good game by one, 119 to 118. Uh, Morant only had 11 points. So something obviously was off with him last night, not his typical 50 points that he puts up that he has been putting up in this series. He was 4 of 13. He did have 15 assists, so he was able to contribute that way. But really, the story here was Towns, 33 points. He went 3 of 5 from downtown. So this series now is tied up, and uh, and they will play Tuesday in Memphis. Uh, Tip-off will be at 7.30. So some good series here uh, that, that we're witnessing outside, of course, uh, the Raptors in Philadelphia. Again, that I, I, I do believe uh, the 76ers wrap that up on Monday. And the Nets going up against Boston. That next game is Monday as well at 7 o'clock at the Clays. And, and I do believe that the Nets are going to get swept. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7. ESPN. Without further ado, Pat Leonard joins us. You see his work all over the Daily News and was the first to report that Kadarius Toney uh, is on the trade, what would we call it, the trading shelf on the uh, a, a dangling carrot. How, how would we phrase it, Pat? Yeah, they're trying to trade him, shopping him on the block, whatever you want to say. There you go, yeah. on the block, like, like, yeah. like Jenny, on the block. It, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right. So, oh, no. Hey, thank you for joining us on on a Sunday morning. Really do appreciate it. Okay. So, so let's, what do we, what do we know? What do we know about Kadarius Tony, right? Like, um, you know, they, they, Gettleman drafts him last year, 20th overall, right? Traded down, got him. Uh, And last year, a lot of injuries, tested positive for COVID more than twice for whatever reason, wearing the wrong shoes. Now he doesn't show up to voluntary OTAs and you've got a new staff, which, I feel it really would be important that he's there. I understand general managers and coaches want to say the right thing so they don't want to, uh, you know, tick off uh, the player or, or the agent, but nonetheless. And But one thing that really stands out to me, Pat, is the fact that he does not have a playbook yet. To me, that's the biggest thing and the biggest red flag that's been, that's been reported. So why don't you break it down for us? Uh, how do the Giants feel about him and, 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 and what you can tell us in regard to him potentially being traded? Yeah, no, you, you provided a good summary there, and you're right. But not having a playbook is a major issue. Part of the reason is because last year, playbook was an issue for him. And he had it, but when he was spending all that time in the spring out because of a toe injury because he wore the wrong cleats and uh, having COVID and when he was he had the hamstring, the Giants coaches were saying that he knew that he knew the plays and he would be fine once he got healthy. He did not. He was not in his playbook as much as he needed to be. That was something that did not become clear really until later in the year. Um, But given that work ethic and study habits on that front was an issue a year ago and that it's already becoming one now, I mean, it really reflects that anything he should have learned, he did not. There were some issues too, similar like work ethic wise in the wide receiver room last year, just as far as simple things, paying attention, you know, staying committed, eyes up, to, you know, type stuff that you just shouldn't have to do with a player. Um, and like you said about all the injuries, I mean, he was basically like a game of operation last year when you look at around his body, things that got hurt. Now it's football, so that happens. But I can just tell you, I mean, there were a lot of Giants players playing through a lot more serious things than what was sending him to the locker room for a quarter or a half or keeping him off the field. And so 
these were a lot of different issues where coming out of the draft last year, obviously he had some, we want to call them red flags in the scouting reports, but I actually went to pretty great lengths to try and figure out what exactly the deal was with him coming out of Florida. And it seemed like some of the things he was involved in or connected to, he was kind of being painted with too broad a brush. He deserved a chance. You know, it wasn't as serious as it looked, even though it was something to pay attention to. But I really felt like the Giants and, and I, from what I could tell, talking to people around him, recognized that he seemed like a kid who loved football and just needed to be in the right environment. But, you know, th- there's, there's a difference between, like, somebody thriving in a good environment and structure and needing to hold their hand, right? And the fact that he didn't even come up here for one day, I mean, you know, Anita, like these guys in the offseason, when it's voluntary, you might pop up to New York for a weekend, go out on a Friday night, pick up your playbook, meet the new staff, say, hey, I'll be back next week. I got some stuff to take care of. And everybody would understand that. So the, the fact that he hasn't been present once, coming off of some of those issues I described last year and that you listed very well as well, um, uh, you know, unfortunately, he's very talented, right? So if you're Daniel Jones, you got to be pulling your hair out right now because <laughs> – Kadarius is one of the only elite talents, you know, in the word as as the word goes on the football field, who could help you in this make make or break year as a quarterback. But, you know, I think Joe Shane and the Giants are doing the right thing uh, by by looking to trade a player who, so far, is not demonstrating that his commitment to football and the Giants supersedes other things. Yeah, I, I mean, you're, we're, I'm I'm sitting here looking at, at the depth chart right now in regards to this wide receiving core, and we know the amount of money that the Giants and Gettleman shelled out for Kenny Galladay, but stuff that I heard prior to him being in, in Detroit um, on a lot of levels is huge, hugely concerning, so not sure how well he's going to rebound even coming into this year. Sterling Shepard can't stay healthy. We know he deals with migraines. Uh, as, as we're talking about Kadarius Tony potentially being traded, I am excited about Ricky Seals Jones. I, I do like him, but he's never really, you know, been a, a tight end one in the NFL. He's always come in for an injured tight end and he's delivered. Could this be the year? But yeah, for Daniel Jones, who this has to be the year that he has to ball out to prove to the Giants organization that, uh, that he's worthy of consideration to be the quarterback uh, of, of the future. This this is this is this is this is not a lot to work with. Uh, that's for sure. No, no, and that's why you know Joe Shane. I I understand why he's saying we're going to compete while building for the future because in the NFL nowadays, it, that's really the only thing you can do with the short clock that GMs and coaches, especially coaches, really have to try to get a program turned around. But obviously, as you just uh, listed uh, very very well, like you look at the roster and what they have and what they need. Is it realistic to think, especially when you're getting rid of a talented player like this? But like I said, I I think it's the right thing to do based on the situation. But is it realistic to think that you're going to be able to put it all together and compete in year one of this when everything else, you know, taking calls on Saquon Barkley, making calls on Kadarius Toney, expected to trade James Bradbury, you know, even possibly looking to trade back in the NFL draft to get more draft picks? It might be for this year, it might be for next year, you know. So everything points to a rebuild, which is what it is, but that doesn't say a lot for maybe what Jones might be able to accomplish now. Again, Pat Leonard joining us here on 98.70 ESPN. Okay, so so now we've we've kind of we've discussed all the reasons why the Giants would want to trade Kadarius Tony. Um uh, let's talk about the potential landing spots in places for him. Um 
what are you hearing? What are some of the teams like, you know, I, I know, you know, I've, I've been following you and I've been following this on social media. Uh, I, you know, the Patriots have been named out there as a team that would be interested. What are some, what are some of the teams that you think or that, you know, have called and inquired about Tony with, uh, with the giants? Well, I can only really speak to fit. Um, you know, I know the, you know, the Kansas city chiefs are a team that needs receivers who, I could see Tony, you know, running up 250 yards in a game in that offense, right? Um, and that's a team that's been looking at wide receivers in the draft, especially having a lot of people in for visits. So when a guy like Tony comes available, I think that's one you have to kind of check the box and say fit and interest would seem to match up here. Um, I, I, here's one thing I would catch, Anita. The, the interesting thing about this situation is the Giants – you know, what, what can they get for a player when the only reason they're obviously trading him is off-field issues that other teams are going to have to deal with if they acquire him. So that due diligence has to occur. That could affect trade price, et cetera. The Patriots, they make sense. I mean, you know, uh, Joe Judge is there on the offensive side of the ball, was here when they drafted him. However, they, they have a lot of money invested in receivers there from going back to last year, you know, Nelson Aguilar. Kendrick Bourne, uh, Johnny Smith at the tight end position. Not that Tony couldn't help them, uh, but are they interested in investing more resources in a player like that? That would depend probably on, obviously on Belichick, but also on maybe what Judge tells them, whether or not he believes that it's worth it to help them right now. Um, and, you know, and you, you, know you, you look around the league, I mean, he could help a lot of teams. I mean, you can't expect the Giants to trade him in division, uh, but he could help a team like the New Orleans Saints, uh, you know, he could help a team in the West, like whether if the Seattle Seahawks make a move off of somebody. Um, I don't think the Rams can fit another contract, but they're always looking to upgrade and not afraid of taking a guy on that they feel like they can um, assimilate in a productive way. So those are some of the things I would look at. But, um, you know, even the, even the Green Bay Packers, um, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it but <laughs> for their purposes, but that's a team that, is in the wide receiver market and has the quarterback and just needs guys who can win one-on-ones. And when Tony's on the field, which is not very often, but when he's on the field, you know, he can undress defensive backs in one-on-one coverage, let's be honest. So that would be someplace to look as well. Uh, and, and, you know, it, let's say if the Giants do trade, uh, Kadarius Tony, what are some of the wide what are some of the wide receivers that might be available towards the end of the the first round? I'm hearing amazing things about Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas. I've had a few scouts tell me that they feel that he's the best slot receiver in this draft, and and also could be utilized big time in special teams. Oh, he's a complete stud, and I yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. saw him in some of his biggest games, you know, against the best competition, even when he was dealing with some injuries really dominating at times, and I, lo- I love the kid. Um, you know, I would love to have him on my team. I know a guy that constantly comes up when I'm talking to people around the league is Sky Moore, uh, the wide receiver from Western Michigan, I believe. Um, Sky Moore is a guy who, throughout the process, has just been skyrocketing on boards. You know, I think he was, he was viewed at first as like a mid-second rounder, and now people expect him to go in the first. I mean, the Giants obviously have the two first at five and seven, and then their next pick is 36 in the second. Moore's probably not there then. Uh, but, you know, Shane sounded at his pre-draft press conference eager to continue fielding calls on potential trade backs. I don't think it's crazy to think 
that the, the a very likely scenario in the draft is for him to make a pick at five and then try to trade seven back. And that could mean acquiring a couple extra picks in this draft. It could mean a pick this draft and a pick next draft. Uh, but in that scenario, too, Sky Moore, I know Jahan Dotson from Penn State, the smaller slot guy, but especially if you think the Giants, if the Giants do quickly here complete a trade and move on from Kadarius Toney, yes, they have Sterling Shepard, but Again, a, a quick receiver, um, you know, someone who has, has really not dropped any passes at all coming out of a program that's sending more and more productive NFL players in the NFL. That's another player to watch. And I know kind of a later round guy, Samori Torre, um, out of Nebraska, is a guy that keeps coming up that the Giants and Jets both have called on. Um, he was an FCS standout at Montana and had two touchdowns in the Shrine game. Uh, this year kind of put himself even more on people's radar. Those are some names to watch out for, but you're making a good point here is that this is a good receiver class. It's not a great draft class in general, but receiver is one of the few positions where not only are there good talent at the top, but it's also deep. And so if the Giants are offloading Kadarius, they certainly will have an opportunity to replace that player. You know, again, Pat Leonard joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Uh, the, the Giants coming into this draft with a lot of draft capital. And as we're talking about the potential of trading Kadarius Toney, uh, as well as Bradbury could gain more draft picks as well. Uh, with that being said, you know, who who, who do, uh, do you see Bradbury being dealt as well um, next week? Like, who are some of the other players that we should keep an eye on? that you feel potentially will not be on this roster uh, after next weekend? Yes, I think I expect Bradbury to get traded. Though I, I talked to some people, at, at this point, people think it's more likely he gets traded after the draft uh, because teams are so zeroed in right now on, okay, if we haven't finished, completed something like that by now, you know, we're looking at how can we fill our needs in the draft. You know, it just gets to that time. Now, it's certainly possible that a team just recognizes through a few days leading up to these, the first round and second round, they might discover, oh, the corner we thought we were going to get isn't there, and then call the Giants back and say, you know what, we want to just get this done. But I know some people think that, you know, yeah, during the draft's possible, but more likely after the draft. Like I reported at the owners' meetings that the uh, Texans, Chiefs, and Colts were teams to watch on Bradbury and I still believe those are the teams to watch or, or know the teams uh, watch, actually. Um, Houston's one that really interests me there. You know, Lovey Smith has been on the record saying how badly they need corners recently. Um, you know, Nick Casario has a reputation in the NFL right now, a positive one for being willing to take or make a phone call to investigate all possibilities. You know, that's something Joe Shane is establishing quickly. He will do now. Um, and he's somebody to watch. I mean, Houston has a pick at three. They have a pick at 13 in the first round. They are further along, they think, you know, in a rebuild that the Giants are kind of just starting out on. But so that, you know, the veteran presence of a Bradbury, does that make sense or not? But I know that there's interest there. And if the price matches up, depending on what the Giants eat money-wise uh, and what they can negotiate there. But, yes, I expect Bradbury to tra- be traded. Uh, I know that, so they're looking into trading Tony. And Shane is also looking into possibly trading back. And he took calls this offseason on Saquon Barkley. So no, stunt, no stone unturned by the new GM so far. Re- really quick, Pat, because I only have about a minute left here. Uh, just out of curiosity, I'm hearing that the Giants are definitely going to trade back one of their two picks. 
Um, I'm sure Giants fans would like for that to be the seven if they get a, a deal that that totally, uh, you know, um, knocks their heels yeah. off. Uh, then then it could be the five. Uh, and also, I'm hearing that it potentially could be the Saints or the Steelers. Are you hearing the same thing? Yes. In fact, I was. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth with the Saints there with picks 16 and 19. It might depend what which pick they trade is going to depend on. What happens in front of them, the Panthers at six. The Panthers, a lot of people think, want to tackle. So maybe the Giants take the tackle, either Evan Neal or Charles Cross. I think I don't think Neal will be there, but those, those two are names to watch at five. And then maybe they still stay at seven and get like a sauce Gardner. Gardner could be in play at five, though, if they think they can trade back and still get uh, a tackle that they like in the teams. Bernard Raymond from Central Michigan is a guy to keep an eye on there. Um, you know, so and then the edge rushers as well. Like if Kayvon Thibodeau falls to five, maybe he becomes the pick even over a tackle, depending on what they think the Panthers are going to do if the Panthers trade out. Um, so a lot of needs. You could make an argument for them to go in a lot of different directions, but I think you're on the money with the fact that a trade back feels more likely uh, coming closer to the draft. Fantastic, Pat. Thank you so much again. Really, you do appreciate your time on this Sunday, uh, this Sunday morning. Um, uh, enjoy the rest of your Sunday fun day, my friend. You too, Anita. Thank you. You got it. Pat Leonard, you can see all his work uh, at the Daily News. Again, uh, the first one to report uh, that Kadarius Tony uh, was uh, is on the trading block. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. And let's start with what's going on with the Yankees. Uh, as we know, they won yesterday 5-4. Torres with that uh, walk-off hit. But what the heck happened in right field? Come on, Yankee fans. We're better than this. We're better than this. Let's listen. And this is Michael Kay on the call. Okay. All right. We're, we're, we're working on getting that sound. Uh, but just to give you some more stats here, as we know, the Yankees, they're nine and six on the season. They've won three straight at home and, uh, and, and they're six and three. The record at home is, is six and three. I've got Garrett Cole going today, sitting with a six, three, five ERA. His last start was on Tuesday. Didn't even make it out of two innings. Uh, gave up two runs in five walks. Uh, Cole not off to a great start, considering that he's this club's ace. It really is amazing to me that the Yankees are nine and six. I believe we've got that sound right now. Let's listen. This is Michael Kay on the call from yesterday's game. The one-two line drive into right center field. That's going to do it. The Yankees win the game. A walk-off pinch hit RBI single. Labor Torres comes off the bench and becomes a hero, and the Yankees win 5-4. Now the Yankees are telling the fans, do not do that. They were throwing things at the Indian outfielders, and you see Judge came out and said, settle down. We don't need that. They're throwing cans out there. Even Stanton saying, you can't do that. That's an awful look. This is a celebratory moment for the Yankees, and... And the fans just started to pelt the Indian out or the Guardian outfielder. So, uh, again, not not a great look for Yankee fans out there in right field. Beer cans, uh, apparently some reports. Beer bottles. I didn't know that they sell bottles at stadiums. I highly doubt that there were bottles out there. Um, and and celebrating, you know, uh, you know the the uh, the Guardians outfielders who ran who the one player his name escapes me who ran into the wall apparently he was bleeding he was pretty banged up and and they were celebrating him getting hurt by running into the wall it's just it's just it's it's just you know the Yankees have a brand right let's be honest the Yankees have a brand I, I taught I taught sports branding uh, management 
in uh, when I first moved to New York, I was working on the fan. I was, I was doing overnights on the fan. I was working for the Giants. I was working for Sirius. I was, I, I, was, I was all over. I was Bleacher Report. I was, I was all over the place. Um, and I was also teaching at NYU, and I was teaching a sports branding class. And, you know, I, I use the Yankees in, in, in a lot of my lessons when it comes to branding because it, their brand is, is, so, is so rich and so good and so noble and so – it's just it, – yesterday was, was so not what Yankee fans do. It's just not the way that the organization operates, let alone its fans. So get it together out there. Like, enough. No way. Uh, you've got this Yankee team now. They're one game back uh, to Toronto. Uh, Toronto's won four straight, but uh, this is what we anticipated, did we not? Uh, you know, a lot of people, a lot of analysts uh, in- expecting Toronto to win the division. It's great that the Yankees are only one game back, especially considering, like I said, their ace, Garrett Cole, uh, going today has been struggling this season with a 6-3-5 ERA. Looking ahead to this week, uh, go, got Baltimore coming to town, which very, very interesting, right? Like Baltimore, worst batting uh, slugging percentage in Major League Baseball, but their pitching has been tremendous. They are not scoring runs. They're not even averaging three runs a game, but their pitching has been tremendous. So I'm really, really curious how this series is going to play out. And then, uh, and then the Yankees head to Kansas City. They're at Kansas City over the weekend, Friday through Sunday. For the Mets, uh, they lose to the Diamondbacks. Diamondbacks, Worst batting average in Major League Baseball at 180, but was able to put up 11 hits yesterday. That really was the difference. They've won three of their last four. That team is coming alive right now. So uh, so now this series is split. Both teams looking to try to uh, win the series. Uh, so we'll see what happens today. The Mets, as we know, 11-5, and five, even though they lost yesterday, still has the best record in Major League Baseball. The Dodgers still with only 10 wins. They're 5-2 and two at home um, and looking to, of course, get, get back uh, home after this road trip. Um, that's for sure. So uh, this is your Diamond Report. Diamond Notes, I should say, brought to you by Two by London, the engagement shop by London Jewelers. Picker designed the perfect engagement ring to fit every budget at any of their six area locations. Uh, and in the break, I was asking, we've got uh, Tom and, and Will who are producing the show today, and I was asking them if they've seen the, uh, the K-Rod um, broadcast yet. And, uh, and curious, 800-919-3776. I, I know it's, 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 it's trying to be that spinoff of what we saw with the Manning brothers for the NFL season. Curious what your thoughts are out there. It's a great opportunity for, uh, for, for Michael Kay and, 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 of course, Alex Rodriguez, and I was sharing. So uh, folks that might not be aware of this, but um, so I'm originally from Miami. I covered Alex Rodriguez when Alex Rodriguez was in high school and uh, was actually there when he signed his first contract with Seattle. Uh, I really thought that he was going to go to the University of Miami and play a year in college, uh, but really, uh, needed, needed the money and the funds for his, his mom and his sisters. So, uh, so he, he accepted the contract. And I want to say, if I remember correctly at that point in time, it was like, it was a, a $1 million signing bonus or signing bonus, just right at, at the point of, of putting his John Hancock on the Seattle Mariners contract, a million dollars for a young man who's not even it wasn't even 18 years old coming out of high school. Um, it was a huge deal. It was a huge deal in Miami, 
and um, it was uh, it was it's been really interesting to watch his career play out. That's for sure. I remember I used to uh, I used to produce a show in Miami uh, that Hank Goldberg uh, used to host, and um, and we used to have Alex on as a guest, especially during if you recall back in the in the early '90s uh, when um, when Major League Baseball had the work stoppage. Uh, all the players went home. Alex came home. He was with his family down in Miami. And so we'd have Alex on our show often. And I would send a limousine to go pick him up. You know, he, he had a ride to and from the show. And, but I had to promise his mother, <laughs> if you can marinate in this, um, I, maybe Michael K could share this. Um, I, I had to promise Alex's mother that the limousine would take him straight to and from the show. That, that he wouldn't take the limousine out and like go party on South Beach or go out anywhere else. And of course, a few times, um, Alex did convince the limousine driver uh, to take him to South Beach and, and I would get a very uh, not so happy uh, Mama Rodriguez calling me on the phone, asking me where her son was. And of course, um, Alex uh, hijacked the, uh, the limo and would take it to South Beach, funny. Anyway, uh, it's been interesting and it's been great and, uh, and, and hopefully wishing him and Michael K. huge success with that K-Rod broadcast. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Without further ado, Moke Hamilton joins us now on 98.7 ESPN. Good morning, Moke. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Anita? They got you running a marathon today. I hope you had your okay. education before you left the crib. Okay, boo. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Damn. Uh, anyway, um, so uh, so let's dive into it. Nets down 0-3. Is, is Ben Simmons coming in game four and saving the day, or are we waving the white flag here, Mo? What say you? Well, I, yeah, I, I would say neither. Um, I don't really think I would expect – I mean, look, anything Ben Simmons gives you is a, is a plus. I think the positive there, you know, half of succeeding in the NBA is knowing your opponent. Ime Udoka, not really sure people – talked about this that much but he was actually an assistant on Steve Nash's staff last season so you talk about knowing your opponent I think it's pretty obvious Boston has succeeded in that respect Ben Simmons will change the way they play a little bit he'll throw a bit of a wrinkle into what Yudoka thought he knew about Brooklyn but I don't think Ben is going to be out there playing 30 minutes you know what I mean so I don't really think he's gonna he's gonna change the game that much Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving let's not mince words they got the Nets into this mess. It's going to be up to them to get them out. <laughs> it is a mess, isn't it? Um, you know, yeah. I, I've I've Among received two. I've I've received a number of calls already this morning. You know, uh, KD's not better than LeBron James. No way LeBron James would go down 0-3 in this series. I, I, listen, I, I'm I'm not I'm not th- th- that's that's a, a realistic possibility. But I think we're burying the lead here. Moke and and the lead to me is this, this Celtics defense is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, very, very true. The, the, the defense has been unbelievable. Uh, I, I mean, again, I, I'd probably say it's fifty-fifty. You know, like there has been some fantastic individual defensive effort and team defensive efforts from the Celtics, but they're also, you know, Blake Griffin was kind of onto something last night when he said that um, you know the, the spirit of the team seemed a little off. I think that we all recognize that. And then the other thing, too, that's a little disconcerting is that it just it seems like Kevin Durant just didn't really have much in the tank 
And it's difficult to find an explanation for that because we all know that no NBA team in history has ever come down, uh, has ever come back from, a, from being down 3 nothing in the series. So when you find yourself down 2 nothing, particularly when you have game three at home, that's when you really expect your stars to kind of show up. And even to an extent, you expect them to say, hey, man, forget about the game plan. Give me the ball. I'm going to carry us home. Similar to what Kevin Durant did in game seven last year against the Milwaukee Bucks. At least, you know, obviously, they weren't able to win that game. But that, I think, is what Nets fans were expecting to see. And he just didn't really seem fully engaged. And it's, it, it, it was difficult to explain considering what was at stake. So I, I, think, I think it's half of what the Celtics have done defensively, but also half just something seems to be missing from Brooklyn. Something is off. Well, listen, you know, and, and and this is another another response. This this isn't the complete team, right? Like Harden's gone. This is this right. is two, and, and and arguably two of the best players in the NBA. But you know, this wasn't what the trade was supposed to be about. No, no disrespect. Uh, don't mean to insult Drummond or or Curry, but you know, right. this trade was about Ben Simmons, and and I right. don't know if the organization knew just how bad this back or disc issue is. So for me, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here saying oh, blow up blow up the team, you know, push the reset button, let Kyrie go. This no, like you know, this season didn't end the way that they wanted to. I get it. But like I don't believe Ben Simmons should play on Monday. I think they should just, you know, take their medicine this off season you know, get healthy, get ready, and come back, and next season be the season that we really uh, judge and critique whether or not this is a team that can win a championship. I, I just, I, you know, yeah, just, I, I, just to sit here and, 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 and to judge them big picture based on this, what, what, the, what they're working with right now, especially against that Boston defense, I don't think it's realistic. Listen, I, I agree with you 100%. I actually made, and I actually said a few weeks ago on, on basketballnews.com in, in a column that I wrote over there uh, that I thought the Nets should have shut Ben Simmons down from that point. And I'm talking maybe like two, three weeks ago. And the reason why is because I did not think it, I thought it would do a disservice to Ben Simmons and to Steve Nash to try to bring him back now while you were in a situation that was such high stakes. Because one of the things that you are seeing with the Celtics right now is that you simply cannot cheat equity. You cannot cheat the process of building chemistry and having continuity with the roster. And that's one of the benefits you're seeing with Boston right now. There's been so much talk about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and whether or not they can play together. And I think they're kind of answering the question as to whether or not they can right now. And now for the Nets to find themselves in a 3 nothing hole, I mean, Ben Simmons hasn't played, played basketball in, in nearly a year. I think it's been just under a year now at this point. So for you to bring him back in this situation where the team desperately needs a shot in the arm where they find themselves down 3 nothing, even if Steve Nash says, hey, we're only going to play you 15 minutes, we don't want you to press too hard, just be yourself, you know, blah, 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 the player internally is going to harbor – the situation that the team finds itself in. And even when he himself goes out there and plays, even if he doesn't say anything to anybody about it, he is going to press a little more than he would if, if the series was tied 2-2 two, two, 
or if the Nets were even down to one. But because this is an elimination game, and it's his first time taking the floor with his teammates, it's the first time a new fan base is seeing him. And especially after what he went through in Philadelphia, I just think it puts him in a very, very bad situation. So even before they lost game three, I was skeptical about bringing him back. After losing it, I, I think it's, it, it does a disservice to Ben Simmons even more, and I don't envy him now being in the predicament that he's going to find himself in on Monday night when they tip off game four. Mo Hamilton joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. Big picture. Uh, I love, so again, full disclosure, I know you know this, we've talked about this before when you've been on uh, prior to the season, my pick for the NBA championship was Golden State Warriors over the Miami Heat. Um, Golden State looking good wow. right now. Looking we'll, pretty good right now, yeah. <laughs> we'll, and and considering the, the Devin Booker uh, injury with the Suns, Golden State's mm. looking really good coming out of the West, but let's still continue to focus on the East. And I love this Miami team, but, man, I've been on this Boston Celtics team since the All-Star break. I, I really, like, God bless us if we get a Boston Celtics-Miami Heat Eastern Conference Championship. And if it comes down to that, I think it goes the distance, and I don't know who wins. I think both these teams are, are really, 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 really great. So I'm curious, who do you see coming out of the East? Wow, okay. Uh, I mean, I, I've been, I know you've been on the Celtics train for a while, so I will definitely give you that credit. Um, Milwaukee was my team. You know, I was taking Milwaukee over, over the field, but with the, the injury to Chris Middleton, I mean, that's definitely that, – that obviously hurts Milwaukee's chances. The, the positive to that is, you know, it's not like he's been ruled out for the remainder of the playoffs, so there is a chance that he could find himself back in the next round if Milwaukee does get there. Um, so, I mean, at, at this point, I don't know that I'm going to change from Milwaukee. Uh, I, I think I would still defend Milwaukee, but I do, I do think that they will certainly have their hands full with Boston in the next round, assuming Milwaukee is able to get past Chicago. Um, the thing I will say about Boston, though, that I think it's been especially inspiring is Jason Tatum, you know, we, we kind of look at him as being a, a young guy and someone who tomorrow, you know, once, once Durant and LeBron and Steph Curry hang it up, you know, Jason Tatum's going to be one of those guys tomorrow, you know. And Jason Tatum is like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of waiting for tomorrow. I'm here now, and, and my time is now. And I'm looking at Kevin Durant in his face, and I'm saying, yo, man, that, that crown that you have, that, that imaginary crown, I suppose, that you have over here in the Eastern Conference, I'm taking that. And, and after I take it, I'm going after Giannis. And, um, you know, I will say if uh, the Celtics do find themselves in the next round against the Bucks, and they find a way to beat the Bucks with or without Chris Middleton, it will be the dawning of a new day in the Eastern Conference, in my estimation. And at that point, I think I would probably say that the Celtics are uh, maybe going to install themselves as my favorite to win the whole thing. But there's a lot of basketball to play between now and then. Um, I respect how you feel about Boston, but I think I'm going to stick with Milwaukee. I mean, I think I'm going to rock with them just because I do think Chris Middleton will be back. At the end of the day, I think Milwaukee is still probably the best defensive team out there. And I think that Giannis is still probably the most singular, unstoppable offensive force. But it's tough. You know, I will say the Eastern Conference is as wide open as I can recall it being, and I think any of the four teams that advance to the next round will have a legitimate chance, a chance at, at winning the conference. 
Okay, let's take a look at what's going on in the West. Uh, like I said, I, I liked Golden State coming in. They, they've had a, 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 rocky, a, a rocky regular season, but boy, are they peaking at the right time. Meanwhile, for the Suns, no Devin Booker. It looks like Devin Booker's going to be on the shelf a lot longer than Chris Middleton is going to be on the shelf. Mm-hmm. How do, who, do, who do you see coming out of the West based on what you've seen so far? Well, I thought it was a two-horse race the whole time. You know, I thought. I hope you got some good odds on that bet. By the way, you you said that was your preseason pick. Yeah, the, that was my that was my matchup prior to the season starting. How about that? That's, and I'm that's an and incredible. I'm, and, I'm, and, I'm a, and I'm a football gal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I got I got to give you that. Cha-ching, ching. I might have to hit you up to get a loan to, uh, to buy new watch stuff <laughs> like that once you cash all that in. But um, no, I thought it was a two-horse race between Phoenix and Golden State. And sometimes, unfortunately, injuries are just a part of the game, you know. And Phoenix is on is on the wrong end of that right now as we speak. So, right now, if I had to choose between those two teams, I would say you're looking pretty good, Anita. I think I think I'd be rolling with Golden State. Uh, you know, I think Jordan Poole has certainly benefited from the minutes and the reps that he's gotten, and, and I mean, this guy has just been incredible for Golden State. And I, it's not even like they were missing a piece. But to the extent that they needed another guy that could give them twenty an efficient twenty five points on any given night and sing, single handedly win a playoff game for them, they have that. You know, they have that now. So top to bottom, man, Golden State is really, really deep. And as long as you know, as long as Draymond Green and, and Steph Curry and Clay Thompson remain relatively healthy, it's it, it's hard to see them being stopped. I think I think you might have to uh, go in the closet and pull out the broom today. They, they're playing game four against the Denver Nuggets today. and It, it might be all she wrote. So uh, they'll be re- well-rested going into the next round. I think Memphis and Minnesota will probably end up going the distance. So all things considered, you you, you got to kind of like how things are lining up for the Warriors right now. So I think you're looking good at you. He is Moke Hamilton. Uh, always a pleasure having you on, sir. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday fun day and in, in, enjoy uh, the games later on today and, of course, throughout the week. Thank you so much. You guys take care. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. This is Click, 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 or Don't. Very simply, here's the headline. Are you interested in clicking or not? All right, it's time for Click or Don't Click, a fun way we take our tour around our wide, wide world of sport and find out what is trending based on the headlines so uh, we've got Will and Tom who are producing the show. They'll lead the way. They'll share uh, what headlines are out there on a variety of websites. And if one uh, interests me, then I'll tell them to click and, uh, and we'll have a discussion about it. So, gentlemen, what do you got? I have one that mm-hmm. is very, very funny, but also extremely embarrassing in the same way. So Ooh. Angels radio announcer was duped by Garrett Cole joke. Yeah, uh, I'm, yeah I'm, okay. I'm curious. To know so, what happened. Uh, obviously, as you could recall, he had an embarrassing outing on Tuesday in Detroit where he went an inning and two-thirds. Right. Uh, and that's an unlike Garrett Cole start. So there's a Twitter account uh, named New York Porch Sports. Now, they are a parody account to New York Post Sports. And right. a, a lot of the time, people, including famous people and famous broadcasters and news headlines companies, they fall for this type of stuff. Mm. It's it, it's kind of kind of like is it is it kind of like the Adam Schefter false Twitter somewhat handle? but these are not false these are just funny jokes that people wouldn't say or wouldn't do but they 
write it that people would believe it, kind of, if that makes any sense. So after he went an inning and two-thirds, the tweet was written, Garrett Cole promised an underprivileged school he'd donate 600 MacBooks if he went over two innings tonight. The Yankees' ace went 1.2. Now, (laughs) the Angels broadcaster then shared that on the air the same night. Uh, it was KLAA uh, AM in Los Angeles, um, and he had no and he had no idea no, he was getting punked. He had no idea. He, he said okay. on the air, and I quote: "He had promised to an underage privileged school in New York before the ball game that he would donate 600 MacBooks if he went two innings or more tonight in that ball uh, ball game." Uh, mm-hmm. Broadcaster Terry Smith said during the Angels' five-run fifth inning, certainly a nice gesture on his part. He ended up getting taken out of the game, going an inning and two thirds. Uh, this, of course, is coming from uh, our good friends at NJ.com who published this article. Uh, but that is, I, I mean, people get duped all the time by this stuff, but you got to check your sources first. <laughs> um, so, so okay, so I have a few questions here, and, and you might not be be able to answer them, but I'm just out of curiosity, Did does Garrett Cole know that this happened? I have no idea. Um, uh, like, a lot of these are... Um, I, I mean, these are obviously fake. Um, everybody that is on Twitter that, you know, like follows New York Post sports knows that this page exists. So I'm sure, the you know, like Yankees, Met players, Rangers, Islanders, anybody that plays in, in the New York area pretty much knows this exists. Um, obviously, being from L.A., Hearing New York porch sports, you think, oh, that's a legitimate source when they have a, a lot of a, a lot of followers on their page. But I, I couldn't answer that question if uh, Garrett Cole thought if that was real or and not. And I think it's clever, you know, because we're always talking about the short porch, right? Um, I think it's a clever name. Um, I'm just, I just throw that out there because if uh, if Garrett Cole, somebody should let Garrett Cole know, and and maybe he'll donate them anyway. I yeah. think, yeah, I think, I think if I, if I was making Garrett Cole's money and this story came up, I think that'd be a nice gesture that I could realistically afford. So after hearing the news, uh, again, this is all coming from the NJ.com article that uh, I'm reading this information to you. Um, mm-hmm. Angels color commentator Mark Gubas. Mark Gubisga, I hope that's how you pronounce his last name. Yeah, we'll uh, roll with it. Didn't realize it was a real story. He simply said, wow, because the original tweet garnered over 16,000 likes and the video of the Angels broadcast team gained over 213,000 views. Um, So this is something that obviously transpired quickly. But, Anita, we spoke not too long ago about Yankee players finding out that they've been traded via social media. And now here we are, uh, like a few weeks later, talking about now broadcasters being duped on social media. Social media is both good and bad for the world and obviously you want to check your sources first, but that's something it's it, it it's a funny story now, but it, it it's pretty embarrassing for the, you know, for the broadcasters who were stumped by that. I mean, I was I've been listen, I've been duped before, like I said by the Adam Schefter uh Twitter page. We all have. I, I mean, I we mean, all have been just, duped. This this is this was this was years ago. So yeah, I mean, you know, it, it it does it does happen, and then and then you feel like, oh God, why did I retweet that? I feel like a fool. Anyway, what else do you guys got? Okay, Anita. So this one went viral a few days ago. Mike Tyson says aggressive passenger he hit on the plane was harassing him. Oh yes. I, okay. So I'm I'm definitely going to tell you to click this um, because I saw this headline. But I, I, I was doing something. I didn't have time to read it. But I was, I was, I was 
um, I was really interested to hear what happened. So what, like, from what I understand, like, it was caught on video and, like, he, like, literally, like, clocked this guy, right? That is correct. So the guy um, apparently asked for a selfie with Tyson and then he (laughs) kept talking to him. And I guess, like, one thing led to another. Tyson got very, very annoyed at the uh, chatterbox that was trying to talk to him. And then he uh, did what he did best and he took um, his skills out on the ring on this uh, gentleman on the plane. Just because he was a chatterbox and he was talking to him too much? I'm assuming he must have said something. Said something. Said something that really aggravated Mike Tyson because, like, sometimes, like, I feel like if you're on a plane, if you've been on a plane before, you've kind of been in these situations where, like, maybe you have, like, some annoying noise going on in the background. But it doesn't mean you're going to get up and go, like, assault someone. So, obviously, something must have happened to provoke Tyson. I, I, I mean, I remember, and, I, you know, I'm a little old, bit older than you guys, but, like, I remember there was a time where, like, uh, you know, you, you felt like the worst thing ever that could ever happen to you in life is, is being clocked by, by Mike Tyson. I mean, you know, we, we would wager that Mike Tyson, it wasn't about would Mike Tyson have a knockout. You would wager how many seconds into the first round would the knockout happen? Right. Like that's what you wagered on. And so uh, like, whoa, I, you know, I mean, I'm I'm sure he's not in the shape that he was in back in the late eighties, but nonetheless, uh, like, I, like, I can't even imagine what it must be like uh, to get clocked by, by Mike Tyson. That's for sure. Yeah. I was actually, I was flying back from Florida, um, on Wednesday night and, um, and I was sitting in front of a, a, a woman, uh, who was there with her two-year-old child and, um, and she had a few too many and, um, in the way that she was talking to her two-year-old child was really disturbing. This is a family show. I can't share with you exactly all that was being said, but, um, I was, I was so close to turning around and saying something. Um, and I'm really surprised that the other people around me did not as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing worse. There's nothing worse than being on a flight where, you know, there's an issue, right? Like you're sitting next to somebody who, I don't know, has BO. You're sitting next to somebody who has bad breath. You're sitting next to somebody like, or you're sitting in front of somebody like me who's, you know, an unfit mother. Um, like there, like to me, there's, there's nothing worse. I, I mean, would I ever punch somebody? Absolutely not. And it's happening more often than not lately. I mean, if you've been watching, uh, if anybody's been watching the news, like you see what's going on at these airports at in these airplanes, uh, the case show brought up the other day about, about, uh, about Bill O'Reilly, you know, harassing one of the JetBlue workers. And now Mike Tyson I saw punches that. a passenger. I saw that. You I had saw that incident that back on like Wednesday. So it's, it's happening more often than not. And I don't know whether or not these these passengers are just finally relieved that they cannot wear masks in the airplane anymore, that they're just acting belligerent and, and, well, and acting like they don't really care. But it's becoming very, very scary because it's deemed as the safest way to travel. And here we are having here we are having these problems where Mike Tyson is, is literally punching a passenger. But, hey, if you have to get kicked off an airplane, why not tell your friends and family, I got punched in the face by Mike Tyson? <laughs> I got punched I in the face by Mike Tyson. <laughs> uh, this is the last thing I'll say about, about flight travel right now. It was really interesting. So when I flew out to Florida, the man, mandate, the mandatory mask law was in effect. So, you know, obviously 100% of the plane was wearing a mask. 
when I flew back on Wednesday, the mask um, mandatory mask was was removed on Tuesday. So I would say 95% of the, the, the plane did not have a mask. 95, at least. I mean, maybe, you know, it was, it was a, a packed flight, right? Like three rows, three seats each side. Um, and maybe there was like maybe five people who were wearing masks. Uh, like 95% of the flight was not wearing a mask. It's, uh, it's, it's, and, and, the, and the pilot was making a joke about it. But anyway, all right, let's, let's, let's do one more before we take a break. What else is trending? You know, I've, I've, been, I've been looking around like crazy for headlines, but I can't find one. Tom took the one I was going to use next was the whole Mike Tyson <laughs> thing. <laughs> it's, look, give it four days, Anita, and there'll be another news headline. Actually, th- there was something I saw on, on, on TikTok about air travel. It was like a couple weeks ago where this JetBlue flight from Cancun couldn't land at JFK because of all the winds, um, and they had to land at uh, Newark. But passengers wanted to get off the plane because they were on the tarmac for four hours. But the, you coming from a different country, they couldn't go through customs in Jersey. But they couldn't land in JFK. So passengers like, just arrest me then because I don't want to be sitting on a tarmac for four hours. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I saw it on TikTok, but I'm telling you, give it four or five days. And for next week's show, I guarantee you will have another click or don't click about somebody on an airline having I an issue. It. I love it. Guys, thank you. I appreciate you guys. Again, uh, Will and Tom producing the show today. This has been Click or Don't Click. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN.